Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. I'm going to jump into our, uh, our Christmas message. And today, what we get to do is to bring to a, uh, really a conclusion. I, I, it's a climactic conclusion, really, uh, a five-part series we've been in. And maybe you're new, maybe you're a visitor this morning, maybe you, got in, maybe you just looked for a church, or maybe you got invited by a family member that you're in town to visit. Um, this morning's message is really challenging to, to give, and here's why because I have about 20 minutes now to give a message that is meaningful and helpful to Christians who've heard maybe 40 Christmas messages across their lifetime or more. Some of you less, some of you more, a few more. Uh, Also a message that's accessible and to, to people who are just visiting, who haven't been a part of the series we're in, or, are, or maybe you're new to the faith and you're just exploring this thing of, of the Christian faith. And so it needs to be accessible. It also, we have, uh, it's a family service with little kids in the room. And so we've got people that are very vintage uh, and people that are um, very new. And so how do we do that? And it's actually impossible. It is literally impossible. And we have a miracle working God. So put on your seatbelt because <laughs> we're going to go through our Christmas message. And, I, and here's what I need to do. I need to recap where we've been because it's, it's relevant to where we're going. So even if you haven't been here, here's where we've been. This is the, the, the conclusion of our series, which we've called Good News of Great Joy. In this Good News of Great Joy series, we've been looking at the mothers of Jesus and the way we've done that is there's, we've been basically tracing this, this thread through the first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel. And Matthew is one of the stories about Jesus' earthly life and his death and resurrection, his ministry. Um, so it, not only is it the 17 first verses of Matthew's gospel, it's actually the way that we've arranged the New Testament. It's, it's the first 17 verses of the New Testament, but it's very commonly ignored because it's a list of names. It's Jesus' family tree. It's his genealogy. And so it's basically a list that says, this guy beget this guy, who beget this guy, who beget this guy, who beget this guy, who beget this guy. And for 21st century readers, it seems irrelevant and tedious. And so typically we realize, oh, this is a list of names, and we just skip to the story. We skip to the story about an angel visiting Joseph in Matthew, or if it's a Luke account, we visit, uh, we, talk, we, go, we jump to the, the angel visiting Mary. But the bummer about doing that, about not pausing to consider why are these 17 verses here, is that we miss out on whispers of the gospel. And here's the thing, this, this listing of, of people, it's very intentional. And if we pause and pay attention to it, there's, there's whispers of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus is bringing, that we, we find out about that in the family tree. And then when Jesus comes, we, we get that in its, in its fullness. 
So uh, for our part, we haven't been going through all, there's actually 42 generations that are listed. We haven't been going through all 42 generations. We've been going through those five places where women are named. We've called them the, the mothers of Jesus. And um, each one of us tells us something about the nature of the good news that Jesus is bringing, the good news of great joy. Who's it for? How expansive is it? How, how far does this good news reach? Okay, so let me just take you through our title slide. So, so for example, our first week, we looked at good news of great joy for the oppressed and for those who suffer injustice. We, we, saw, we found that in the story of Tamar. Find her story in Genesis 38. Next, we looked at good news of great joy for Rahab and her family. And that was good news of great joy for, the, for those facing judgment. And so again, this is, this is just the, the reach of the good news is expanding further and further. For those facing judgment. Good news of great joy, week three, for the poor and for those who grieve. And for that story, we were, we were in the story of Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth. And we got to see, again, the, the gospel reaching new places, unexpected places and unexpected people. Most recently, last week, we, or two weeks ago, we looked at the story of David and Bathsheba. And we saw that it was good news of great joy for victims and for perpetrators both alike. Here's the thing. The deliberate inclusion of each of these women and their stories in Jesus' family tree, it's been a whisper of good news to a hurting world. It's a, it's a whisper that God is not shying away or swerving around the darkest and the most painful aspects of living in a fallen world. And here's what Christmas brings together in its trueness. And, and you may be experiencing this because Christmas is a time where culturally there's a lot of expectation. Everybody's supposed to be happy. Everybody's got loving family members. It's all full of joy. And, it's, and, and, and there's all these cultural expectations about what we should be experiencing at Christmas. And the reality is many of us are experiencing that in some places. And there's also the darkness of living in a fallen world that we're experiencing. We're experiencing the brokenness and the grief and the weariness. Today, we're going to end this morning with a song where we sing, A Weary World Rejoices. That's what Christmas does. It brings together weariness and joy, which is unexpected. That's exactly what we find in these stories. We find that God is sending his son to bring good news where it's most desperately needed. Jesus doesn't come to bring good news to a world where everything is perfect. He comes to bring a world to peace, or he comes to bring good news and great joy to those living, we could add, to those living in fear, to those living in pain, regret, to the hungry, to those living in sadness, to those dealing with illness, to those living under crushing debt, to those facing uncertainty, to those wrestling with addiction, to those living in the midst of war and violence. There's pockets in our world that are torn apart, including Bethlehem, by war and violence. This is good news of great joy. How can we bring these things together? To those filled with hate and selfishness. So each one of these mothers of Jesus that we've seen so far, they've, they've told us something about the expansiveness of the good news. How far does it reach? To whom does it reach? What none of them have told us yet is how. 
how can God bring good news? How can God bring good news to, to all of these types of people, to all these types of circumstances? And if it's true, how can I appropriate it in my life? How can I not just hear the good news, but actually receive it and, and respond to it? How, how do I do that? And that's what the final woman, the final mother of Jesus in this family tree tells us. Mary is, is the final, the, she's the mother of Jesus. We've been looking at the mothers of Jesus. She's the mother of Jesus. And in her, we find how. How will God do this? And how do we appropriate it? We're turning to, so here's our, our message this morning. It's good news of great joy for all who respond to the good news in trusting faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. We'll pick up our Matthew reading in Matthew 115. We won't read through all of the begats. But picking up in 115, it says, Eliud was the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So that's the, her introduction in the family tree. Uh, for her story, we actually turn to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And since this is a uh, family service, I'm gonna be reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible. So um, unless you brought one of those with you, you can't read along, but we've got pictures for you. And so you can uh, close your eyes if you want or look at the pictures and listen to the, uh, the story of Mary. Everything was ready. The moment that God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. The seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But instead, the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came. And when no one was looking into the darkness, he came. It happened like this. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel. He was an angel a special messenger from heaven. One morning, this girl was minding her own business. Oh, I read that. <laughs> when she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. Pay attention to this. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's own eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He's God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby? Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too amazing, too wonderful, Mary said. She felt her heart beating hard. She said, how can this be true? 
Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. And so Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see. And she believed. I'm God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Well, sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now, Mary and Joseph had taken a a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found that every room was full. Every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon, maybe Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old, tumble-down stable. And so they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of that night, God gave the world his most wonderful gift, the baby that would change the world, his own son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. Because, of course, he had. It's Mary. It's the first Christmas. And again, Mary teaches us four things about how. How do we hear the gospel? How do we respond to the gospel? How do we receive the gospel? And they're all contained right there in that story, even in the Jesus story, but Bible version. So number one, how to receive and respond to the good news. One, by opening up to grace. We find this in the, the language of the Jesus storybook Bible. It says, God's very happy with you. The text, as we find it, like in NLT, says, greetings, O favored one, for the Lord is with you. And then later, Gabriel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That word translated favor in these two verses, it's the same word that throughout most of the New Testament is translated as grace. Grace is God's unearned, undeserved, even God's ill-deserved favor, the opposite of what we deserve. That's, that's grace. And right here, this angel comes to Mary and he says, you have found Grace. God has, his posture towards you is one of grace. So previously we looked at four stories, the other four mothers of Jesus, and we heard whispers of God's grace to outsiders, to people whose circumstances and experiences seem to us or seem to the first readers as undeserving of his grace. We saw gender outsiders. We saw racial outsiders. We saw moral outsiders. And now we come to Mary, and the thing is, she doesn't have a story yet. She's, she's maybe 15 years old. Her story hasn't been written. And so for her, when, when the angel says, you found favor with God, she like looks around to go, well, who's he talking to? Couldn't be me. I haven't done anything yet. But Gabriel assured her that, her, that God's posture towards that is one of grace. Here's what we learned from that. The starting point for receiving and responding to the good news, whether it's for Tamar or Rahab or Ruth or Bathsheba, whether it's for Mary or for you or for me, 
The starting place is to understand that the good news Jesus brings has nothing to do with what we've done or what we've not done. It's all about what Jesus was doing and promised to finish. His undeserved favor and grace, it extends to both the prostitute and to the virgin. Which means to us that in order for us to open ourselves to the good news and respond to it, we have to let go of our failures and our shame and our sin and our disappointment. And we also have to let go of the good things we've done that we think make us worthy, our good works. We let go of both in order to receive grace. That's what Mary had to start with. We open ourselves, we let go of our goodness and also our badness. Secondly, we receive and respond to the good news by trusting that God does miracles. Mary asks a great question. She says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And his response is, the Holy Spirit will come upon you for nothing will be impossible with God. That's a theme. Like we're tracing this theme through this this, uh, opening 17 verses. There's a theme you can trace throughout scripture. And it's this, it's of... uh, it's being of, of new life coming in miraculous ways. Think about all of the women in scripture who were barren throughout their child producing years. And this is a theme. We have people like, like Sarah, like Rebecca, like Hannah, like Elizabeth. There's, these are stories that just, that just pop up throughout scripture all the way. And, and, and they're women who, who's, for them, the childbearing years came and went and left them childless. But then on the other side of that, when it was not humanly possible for them to have children, then God miraculously opened their womb and put new life inside of them. This is a theme, God bringing new life where it's impossible for man to do it. Stories happen throughout scripture, and now it's happening again, but with a new twist. This time it's not somebody who's barren, it's somebody who's a virgin. And the point is this, to receive the good news, you have to believe in a miraculous God who gives miraculous life, we'll call it eternal life, in that you can't get any other way. That's what's consistent with their stories, whether it's the barren or the virgin. It's that this is impossible for man to do on our own strength, but God can do it. Christmas is about a miracle of God bringing new life to a world that he, only he can bring. Thirdly, how do you receive and respond to the good news? It's by yielding ourselves to his plan. Mary says this right here in the text. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. This 15-year-old girl just prayed one of the most powerful prayers in scripture. To me, the only one that, that's, that's, that, that it, that's more powerful is the one that Jesus prays in the garden where he says, I don't want to do this. Let this cup pass from me if there's any other way. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This, this is just an earlier echo of that same prayer. And she yields her life to God and says, okay. So what, what has she done? Well, she's opened herself to his unearned favor. She's recognized that for some reason, God's wanting to show kindness to me that I didn't earn or deserve. She's opened herself to the fact that God can produce miraculous life that is impossible by human reasoning. 
But she doesn't stop there. In order to personally receive and respond to that, she has to yield her plans to God's plans. And this is the moment of her conversion. This is the moment of her repentance, we might call it. It's not repentance as we always think about it because she's not turning from a, a, a life where we see, well, she's on this reckless path. But here's what she's doing. She's, giving the, she's surrendering her life to God and saying, I choose your plans over mine. And the reality is God's plans were gonna be very disruptive to her. This is gonna disrupt her engagement, disrupt her reputation. This, the, the, and she couldn't even begin to anticipate how it was all going to play out. But here's what she did. She yielded her life to God and said, whatever it looks like, I trust your plans. And so here's what she's doing. She's not trusting the plans, she's trusting the person. She doesn't know what the plans are yet. She doesn't know how, she can't possibly imagine Jesus' ministry, his teaching, the miracles, the cross, the resurrection. She, she doesn't know any of that yet. It would boggle her mind. But she knows the one who is inviting her into new life. And she says, I trust you. That's how we respond and receive the good news. It's not by knowing how it will all play out. If you're here today and you've never yielded your life to God, you've never said what Mary said, here am I. Let it be with me according to your word. Your plans, your will, your intentions, I yield control of my life to you. If you've never done that, you have the opportunity to do that today. You won't know what it's gonna look like. Here's what I can promise you as one who's prayed that prayer. It looks very different than what I thought it was gonna look like. It's altogether much more difficult and much more beautiful. And it takes much longer. And I would never trade it. Because the one who's writing our stories, the one that we give the pen to and say, you, you finish my story instead of me finishing he writes beautiful endings. It's just, there's maybe some plot twists that we didn't expect. Lastly, how to receive and respond to the good news. It's by humble participation in his life. We find this in the place where it says that she laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This is shocking, okay? We, we wouldn't expect human royalty or human anybody born into a family that had power or wealth or importance, we wouldn't expect their child to be born and placed in a grimy food trough that animals ate out of. In a, in a, a little town in first century rural Israel, Bethlehem, we, we would never expect that, let alone if this is really the divine son of God. And yet this is not an accident. This is not a failure of God to make a reservation at the Ritz-Carlton or to think about which generation the Mayo Clinic would exist in, right? This is not an oversight. This is intentional. It's another whisper where God's saying, there's something surprising at work in the good news of great joy that you won't get unless you pay attention. And it's this. The gospel comes in humble ways. How does, how does the good news expand and extend in our lives and through our lives? We call that the kingdom of God and it, and it moves forward in, in surprising ways. His birth and his new life arrives and it grows through humble participation. For Mary, that was giving birth in a stable, in a village, 
placing her son, her newborn son in a feeding trough. For us this Christmas, how does, how does the humble participation advance in our lives? It's in the shape of communion. If, you, if you're not holding it right now, would you grab the elements of communion? If you're at home, now's your opportunity to grab that. If you need communion, if you don't have it and, and uh, you'd like an usher to bring that by, you can raise your hand. Everyone right here. Here's what you hold in your hand. I want you to consider it. Look at this humble, inauspicious cup. We sometimes call these airline communion. It's all nicely sterile packaged. On the surface, this seems like a pretty, I don't know, how could this carry that much power? What this is, it's an invitation. If you're here this morning, there's no expectation for you to receive communion. It's an invitation for you to personally, though, this, this is your opportunity, to personally respond to and receive the message of Christmas and to appropriate it into your own life. Because while this may seem insignificant, it has immeasurable power when unleashed in your life through faith. Because it's an act of faith of receiving what God has done. It, it, all the things that we just saw Mary do, a message of grace, undeserved, ill-deserved favor, a message of the miraculous, God unleashing new life. In Mary's case, God was planting miraculous life inside of her in the form of a, of a son she was to conceive. In our case, there's new life that's implanted, but it's the Holy Spirit being poured out. And, and, and so when we, when we receive it, we're, we're saying yes. There's, there's so number three, there's a yielding. And this is our, our, it's an act of repentance to say, Jesus, I know that you died for sin and you did that to take my place. And, and, in, and in taking this in, we're saying what you did, I'm asking for it to apply for me. That your death and resurrection would become my death and resurrection. It's an act of faith, repentance, receiving new life. And it's the embracing of the humble ways the kingdom is planted in our hearts and the way it extends. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back. They're gonna, in a moment after communion, we're gonna have a chance to sing a few more worship carols and light some candles. But I want you to consider what you hold in your hands. And for some, today may represent a coming back to Jesus. Maybe metaphorically, you've been out in the cold. You've been distant from the people of God. You've been distant from, from relationship with God. Maybe there was a time when you knew that, but you've been, you've been uh, remote. And this is a chance to come back into the warmth of Christmas. God wants relationship with you. He doesn't force it. It's an invitation. That's why Mary has to respond. There's a message that's given to Mary about God's plan, but then she has to say, let it be with me according to your word. Today can be a coming home. For some of you, you may have grown up in a, a Christian home or a, 
what you perceive to be a Christian nation. Maybe you've thought of yourself as a Christian or, or you've just thought, well, of course everybody is. But understand this, this is good news for all people, but it's appropriated personally. We each have to come to that moment of saying, let it be with me according to your will, according to your good news. And so if you've never done that, if you've never yielded to God, receiving communion can be your act of doing that. This morning, this Christmas, it can be inviting Christmas into your life from this day forward. And for those of us who've who've responded to the message previously, there's an ongoing reminder that the way that we got in was grace and the way that we move forward in this life is also grace. We still need God's miraculous life at work in us every single day. We still need grace. We still need miracles. We still need to yield to him again and again. And the kingdom advances in our lives in humble and surprising ways. And we trust the God who does that. And so the invitation is for you to consider, what what do I bring to this moment? Would you stand with me, if you're able? I have a reading for us this morning. I'm just going to read it aloud. This will be our communion prayer. It comes out of the book of Titus, and it actually brings together everything we just saw in the story of Mary. I'm going to read it over us, and when you're ready, just go ahead and receive communion. Uh, if you bend the tab down, on, if you're here on campus, you have these little... If you bend the tab down, your, your top will come off easier, and then you can eat the bread and drink the cup. This is, this is the, the gospel according to Titus. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight, and he gave us the confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is God's word.
We're going to close with two worship carols. And as we do that, we're going to light the candles that you received as you came in. Um, we have both flaming candles and battery candles. Please don't light the battery ones. The way this is going to work is that we're going to start at the aisles. And once your candle's been lit, you light the person's next to you until everybody's candle's lit. Here's what it means. This is a beautiful moment, but there's meaning in it. It means that not only have we invited God's light to illuminate the darkness in our lives, but now we've become messengers and carriers of that light, moving into a fallen world. And here's what I want to invite you to do as you sing these last two songs and as you hold that light. I want you to think about the dark places in our world that you're aware of right now. It may be very personal. It may be darkness that you're navigating the darkness of living in a fallen world. It, maybe it's close to you. Maybe it's in your, your immediate life or your household or a loved one. Maybe it's someone that you know that for this Christmas, you know that, that they're in a, a, a difficult place. Maybe you're praying that the, the gospel of Jesus would reach their hearts. Or maybe what you're aware of is the pain that's happening throughout our world. The pain that's happening in Israel and Gaza pain that's happening in the Ukraine, Myanmar, multiple countries in Africa. Whatever, the, whatever you're aware of that's on your heart, this is a chance to bring that, that situation, that circumstance before Jesus and pray that what began that first Christmas will continue to advance in our world and that it will be completed. A weary world rejoices. Let's sing.
the Lord Jesus, we worship you, we welcome you, we yield to you our lives, and pray that as we leave from here, your light would be carried in our hearts to our world. Jesus, we thank you for the, the hope that is promised in the first Christmas, the promise that you will finish what you've begun that in your name all oppressions will cease. That we're moving towards a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus, would you help us to be those who bring joy to a weary world. In your name, for your glory, and for the sake of others. Amen. Well, there's... Um, baskets by the doors for you to put your candles in as you leave. Please extinguish them first. But don't let the love and the light be extinguished from your lives because we go out from here to make the invisible God visible. Merry Christmas, Vineyard. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.